Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Amen. When we look at God's Word, we need to have respect for it. And part of demonstrating respect for the Word of God is understanding how the Word of God needs to be interpreted, needs to be understood. See, we need to realize that that Scripture oftentimes work together in order to give us a greater understanding of God's mind so that we can perceive His truth and be willing to respond to it. If we look as we're going to at a passage of Scripture and we think that these things are unrelated, we err. God has put His Scripture together, inspired by His Spirit, written down in a specific manner. And these different issues work together to give us a greater revelation of the purposes, the plans, the nature of God. So with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus and chapter 24. Now, we're going to see basically three things being said. First of all, we're going to deal with the menorah that golden lampstand. And then secondly, we're going to see an individual who was a blasphemer and one who cursed God. And we're going to see that there's a consequence for that. And then finally, we're going to see God's judgment in regard to those that take a life, whether it's a human life or even an animal's life. God respects and loves and is committed to all life so let's begin as i said look with me to the book of leviticus chapter 24 beginning in verse 1 where it says and the lord spoke to moses saying again that is a sentence that appears frequently in the torah and the purpose of that sentence is to tell the reader get ready for revelation God has instruction, and he's giving it to Moses so that we can recognize Moses' authority that God has placed on him, that he is an instrument of God's truth. So again, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel. And that's an important thought, command. Normally, when God speaks, when God gives revelation, when God shares instruction, it comes to us in a form of a command. The commandments of God are good. And let me just simply reveal something to you if you do not already know this, and that's this. Until you value the commandments of Scripture, not much positive in a spiritual sense that's going to go on in your life. 
We need to revere, respect the commandments of God. We need to value them because as I've said so numerously in other messages, God commands us not for his benefit. He commands us so it will be well with us. What does that mean? That the will of God will be part of our life. We will be in the will of God and we will be doing the will of God. So he says here, verse 2, command the children of Israel that they take unto you, that is, that they bring to Moses. And then we have several words. We have the word, and this is going backwards because we have to realize that we have the noun, and in Hebrew we have the adjectives after the noun. So in English, it's very different. We put the adjective before what we are are describing. An adjective is a word of description. So we say a big house. Big is the adjective. It comes before the noun. But in Hebrew, it's the opposite. We describe first what is the issue, the noun, the subject. In this case, we're going to see that we're talking about about oil but the adjectives come after that word shemen after the word oil and we have several first of all we have the word at the end of this passage the word katit which means crushed or beaten so the olive oil is going to come from an olive that has been crushed and beaten and then it has to be pure olive oil so it's oil that's from an olive it's got to be pure olive oil and it's got to be beaten in a a harsh manner that only the oil is there and the purpose of this oil is for illumination it says la maor or is a word for light this is a different version of that noun it's a word maor and it's for illumination to to bring up and this means to kindle to make light upon the nair now a nair in modern hebrew we would simply say it's a word for candle but in this context it is the place where the light is going to be revealed so we have the menorah that lampstand and that lampstand has on it as we know seven places for light And these seven places where light is emitted from are known as nerot, sheva or shiva nerot, seven places. So he says here that you use oil and obviously in the places where the oil is kept, there's going to be a wick. And it says here that you kindle these places, these locations, and it's for always now why is that important and that word tamid for always is going to appear several times in this passage and this word for always tamid has to do with something that is repeated consistently now if you know anything about the menorah the menorah is also pure gold it is similar to the covering of the ark And we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Another way that we can refer to the Ark of the Covenant is the Ark of Testimony. 
remember that it's going to be significant in a moment the covering for the ark is also pure gold and this is where the presence of god dwelt therefore what is taught in judaism and i believe that this is accurate for our faith as well is that the light that the menorah emits it reminds us of god's presence you see light you remind are reminded of god's glory his presence with his people and this is consistent we need to remember it always verse 3 then it says outside the veil of testimony now the menorah is not in the holy of holies what's there the ark of the custom uh, testimony and therefore we have a veil that separates the most holy place the holy of holies from the holy place where the menorah is so moses is giving instructions that the menorah is outside or we could say on the other side of the veil of the testimony where in the tent of meeting and aaron is supposed to arrange it meaning he is supposed to arrange the menorah with this oil and he's supposed to do it every day and notice what he says from the evening until morning that is when the menorah is lit lit in the evening and it burns all night until the morning and it says before the lord and there's that same word tamid always consistently and then we have a different word the word tamid means always but we have the word chukat olam which means an everlasting statue throughout your generations now i think we would agree that the word olam everlasting and the word tamid are similar they're synonyms but but the word olam and i've shared this with you before is a kingdom word so this statue this law that we say is an everlasting statue better is understood as a statute that relates to the kingdom why because god's presence is going to be in his kingdom the point that we're seeing here is god's presence which relates to his glory most of you know the word shkina or shakina in english is normally how it's pronounced shakina is god's dwelling glory with his people and in hebrew it's the word shkina and it has to do again with god's presence god's glory is manifested through righteousness so a kingdom reality is that his kingdom the one that god's going to dwell within is going to be a righteous kingdom and it's because of righteousness that this light this presence of god this glory of god is going to be seen so we are told here that that aaron that he is to arrange it meaning this light from the evening until the morning before the lord always and this is a kingdom statue throughout your generations i realize it says everlasting but better understood as a statue that has kingdom significance look at verse four upon the pure menorah now we see another word coming into play here the word for pure it has to do with purity 
holiness, sanctification, all those things. And it's simply reminding us that the menorah reveals the purity of God. This is why God's glory is there. He's a holy God, a pure God, a God that is committed to righteous purposes. So the menorah is called the pure menorah. And again, it is to be arranged by Aaron. So Aaron arranges the nerot. That is those places where the lights emit from through the oil. And he does it before the Lord. How does he do it? It says before the Lord always. Now, again, this is to remind us something. If you are in a covenantal relationship with God, God's presence is going to be with you always. Meaning God is going to work in your life, in your circumstances, in your various situations. But he works according to not what you want, not what you think is best, not necessarily what you pray for. He works according to righteousness. God in how he deals with individuals, with you individually, with me, he manifests through his activity, his character. Very important that we see that. So if I'm living in a way that is not in light with the commandments of God, I'm going to experience God's righteousness through discipline, through punishment. If I'm obeying the word of god doing his will then i'm going to see god's activity in my life through blessing through revelation through his provision so god is always faithful and we experience his faithfulness based upon what we're doing whether his faithfulness is going to be seen through blessing or whether his faithfulness is going to be seen through punishment but god is always faithful He says here, let's move on to verse 5, because we move to another issue. Now, we move to what's called the lechem panim. The lechem panim, the showbread. And we see something. We see that God's presence is for provision. That's what he delights to do. A very important principle. God's presence in my life is for him to provide. What is he going to provide? What I need to serve him. What I need for his purposes to be fulfilled through me, through my actions. And we look here, look if you would to verse 5. And you shall take, still speaking to Moses, you shall take fine flour and you shall bake it. And it says into the implication into 12 loaves. Now here again, the number 12 is an important number. It is a kingdom number. It relates ultimately to the new Jerusalem. And we find the number 12 also relates to the people of God, God's kingdom people. That's why there were 12 tribes of Israel. That's why Messiah chose 12 disciples. So now we have the 12 loaves of showbread. And this shows an important thing. It shows provision. I'll get to that in a moment, but look again. You shall take fine flour. You shall bake it into 12 loaves. These loaves are called chalot. Just like Shabbat bread, we call challah, or in the plural, chalot. 
and it says two, we find two uh, uh, tenths shall be for each challah. So two, and the word here is esronim, which is from the word a tenth, two tenths per each loaf. Verse six, and you shall set them in two, and we have a word, most Bibles will probably say rows, but it's in a, a system. It is, in other words, an ordering system. And we find that two, we'll just stick with the easiest concept, two rows of six. Six is being emphasized. Six is the number of grace, not five. Six is the number of grace. And we see here that God's going to provide grace to his people in order that we might serve him and we see here all of this when we serve god utilizing his grace it is going to bring about his presence and his provision in our life this will be supported in a moment so you shall set them we'll just say in two rows six in a row upon the pure table now we have the word purity also being repeated this time in regard to that table that that contain the system for presenting the showbread and we know that there's two orders there on top of each other and six on one side six on the other and we find that this is the pure table before the lord notice that emphasis as well before the lord all of this is being done at his bequest meaning this he's commanded it so we're submitting to his instruction look now if you would to verse 7 and you shall set upon the rows you shall set what upon them it has pure and we have the word for levona in hebrew which is a type of of spice believe most bibles will say frankincense so we pour out this this frankincense which has a pleasing aroma very important and it shows that god's provision when it's received and utilized properly it's a pleasing fragrance both to us and also to god and this shall be two or for the bread as a memorial to what the fire offering unto the Lord. Now, the fire, uh, fire offering is all consumed. It is a total submissiveness. And this is what's being emphasized here. We see it begins with the menorah. It moves to the showbread. And all of this reminds us God provides. And God wants to utilize, wants us to utilize his provision. So all, all of his will can be done. And in the end, that he is completely, fully pleased with his people. Verse 8. When is this done? It says, Be'yom HaShabbat, on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath, they will, referring to the priests, literally the, the Aaron, one priest, he will arrange it before the Lord. And again, the word tamid, always, consistently. And all of this is taken from the children of Israel. And it's in regard to, notice, Brit Olam. 
Now, it's an everlasting covenant, yes, for all of time, but again, Brit Olam should be understood as a kingdom covenant. And all of this is saying is this, for kingdom purposes, God is going to be present, He is going to provide, He is going to give grace, and the purpose is purity. Why? Well, I've shared with you before that 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 which is pure, God receives. We can say it differently. That which is pure, God blesses. God uses. God identifies with. But that which is impure, what's God going to do? He's going to curse. He's going to reject. He is not going to identify with that. So, verse 8. On the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath, he, meaning Aaron, shall arrange it before the Lord. Always from the children of Israel. This is the eternal kingdom covenant verse 9 and it shall be this bread shall be for aaron and his sons and they shall eat it in a holy place now again they partake of it they receive god's provision but they must eat it not just anywhere but only and this is emphasized here and elsewhere as well in the holy place that word holy is related to purpose the purpose of god so everything that they're doing is in regard to god's purposes and that's why if you're wise one of your primary prayers is going to be consistently before god god teach me reveal to me your purposes that i might have the privilege of participating in them playing a role in your purposes being met and fulfilled so verse 9 and it shall be for aaron and his sons they shall eat it in a holy place for kodesh kodeshim a holy of holies is it for him from the fire offering of the lord and then we have hok olam this eternal this kingdom statue and notice why does it say for the holy of holies well if you hear that and let's just do a test when you hear the phrase holy of holies what do you think of if we took a group of orthodox rabbis and asked them holy of holies what is being conveyed what would they answer what is conveyed with the holy of holies is the presence of god and so when we utilize the provision of god for the purposes of god we can expect to experience the presence of god this is what it's talking about here and when we see the presence of god we know that he's good that he's holy that he's righteous that he's perfect that he's just all of these things remember that this is what is being conveyed it's called the lechem panim lechem is bread panim is literally the word for face it's related to the presence of god all that we've talked about is to remember god's presence with his people and there's a purpose for that god's presence reveals his character so what's going to happen we'll look at verse 10. now many of the commentators will say this is kind of unrelated it is a new issue no what's been emphasized the presence of god and god's presence he is a holy righteous perfect god 
And we need to acknowledge that and be moved by that and submit to that and serve him because of that. But what's going to happen? Look at verse 10. And a son of a Israelite woman went forth. And he is a son of an Egyptian man. And he went forth into the midst of the children of Israel. And what happened? There was contention. We have a word here, vayinatsu. And it's a word, I think most English Bibles will say that they fought. So we have a son of a Israelite woman with an Egyptian man. Now, what is that? Egypt represents the world. Israel is synonymous with the kingdom. And therefore, there is this coming together between the kingdom truth and earthly truth. Let me say something. They don't mix. They can't be brought into unity. And therefore, because of that, there is contention. There is a struggle. There is a war, a fight going on. So we see here that they struggled, they fought in the camp. Who fought? The son of this Israelite woman and an Israelite man. So we have in this son, this one individual, we have a a worldly character. Things related to this world were brought into him. This is what it's teaching. And when we bring the things of this world and mix them with the things of God, it doesn't go well. They don't mix. It produces conflict. It is incorrect. And that's why it says here, verse 11, what happens because of this conflict? It says here, the son of the Israelite woman, what did he do? He blasphemed. Very significant word, vayikoth. He blasphemed. It's not the normal word for blasphemous, but it's that which is displeasing, dishonoring to God. It says here that this son of an Israelite woman, he blasphemed the name. Now, that name is the term Hashem. And let me just point out, the name that we're referring to is the name of God. Name is synonymous with character. This one spoke adversely against the character of god that's what's being emphasized but it's interesting in this passage instead of saying the name of the lord or simply the lord what do we have hashem a great example of the bible using that term hashem in regard to the lord himself there's nothing wrong with that it is a great way to refer to god using two hebrew words the word the and the word name, Ha-Shem, referring to God. So this one blasphemed the name. And he cursed. Not just blasphemy, he cursed. And they brought him to Moses. And the name of his mother was Shilomit, the, the daughter of Divri from the tribe of Dan. Now, he's from the tribe, tribe of Dan, Dan had a special call. Dan were supposed to be the judges. The word Dayan, coming from Dan, is a judge. They were the ones that were supposed to set things in order. 
they were supposed to have a degree of understanding the character of God, the will of God, and the rules of God. And we see here that this one, he failed greatly. And it was all because of that Egyptian influence. And again, Egypt, biblically, is is thought of as the world. So he had a worldly influence. Verse 12. And they set him in, we might say, under guard, under arrest. And what did they do it for? They held him under arrest. They guarded him. Then it says, the frosh lahem al pi Hashem, which means until it would be, and we have a word, the frosh. The frosh in this context is from the same word where we get the term in Hebrew, the perushim, the Pharisees. That word for Pharisee in Hebrew is interpreters. They wanted to interpret God's will in regard to what was right and what was wrong. But here, what we see is that this word is simply saying, we're going to hold this one because of his crime, blasphemous and blasphemy and cursing God. We're going to hold him, <laughs> excuse me, until it is interpreted by the mouth of God what shall be done. Verse 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out the one who cursed outside the camp, and they shall set all the ones who hear, they shall set their hands upon his head. So the ones who heard, this would be witnesses. Those who heard his blasphemy, heard him curse God, the name of God, the character of God. These individuals are to set their hands upon his head. And what is this? This is to provide judgment. And it says exactly that they shall stone him. Who shall stone him? All the congregation. So there was a testimony, a group of witnesses that bore testimony that this one had done just that. And now because of that, all the congregation were to to stone him with stones verse 15 and to the children of israel you shall speak saying every man meaning ish ish everyone who look at it carefully that will curse his god he shall bear his sin meaning he shall endure the consequences And now we know what the consequences are. It is to be stoned for blaspheming God, for cursing the name of God. Everyone, this is God's righteousness. This one has to bear the consequence of his sin. Verse 16. Why? Because he blasphemed the name of God. The one who does that will surely be put to death and they will stone him with stones who will all the congregation and when it says all the congregation notice it says the the stranger and the citizen what's the stranger well we see something here that has great implication a law is being set forth and it says all the congregation that includes the congregation of israel includes the garim who are the garim 
the stranger, the one who sojourns in your midst. They participate in this. They participate in the administration of the law, just like the Ezrach, which is the citizen. We could say the natural-born Jew. But we see that they come together, all of Israel, for this purpose of judgment. Judgment sets things in order. It is good. And it says, with the one who blasphemes the name, this one should die, must die, will die. Verse 17. A man that strikes the soul, meaning the life of a man, shall be put to death. Now, we see something. We see that now he's telling us, a one that takes the life of another, he shall surely be put to death. What did the congregation do? They took the life of this guilty one, but this would be a righteous judgment. It is not taking a life. You should not think of it this way. Now, this has implications to it, meaning this. Those who take a life, those who are related to it, understand something. We have biblical precedent. For example, in the scripture, we see that those who rebelled with Korach, not just the ones who did the rebellion, but also their families, their households also suffered the consequences. Are you hearing that? There is a greater accountability from God's perspective than we might have. And that is those who are associated with the guilty also suffer, also reap the consequences, the judgment. This has significant implications for what is going on in Israel. Now realize, when this is being recorded, it's several weeks before you are actually seeing it. So things may be very different in Israel now than they were when, when I'm actually doing this teaching. But the principle is an eternal one. And that is, those who are related to sin also suffer. Not just the ones who do it, but the ones who are connected. That is a biblical principle. That's why sin must be dealt with and enforced. That is to enforce anyone who is thinking about it. They need to be stopped. They need to understand the consequences that will come upon them. Look again at verse 18. One who strikes the life of not just a person, that was verse 17, but in verse 18, we've moved on. The one who strikes the life of an animal shall pay for the life of that animal. And then it says, nefesh tachat nefesh, meaning life in change for a life. Now, there's a, a principle here. And that is we're coming to a well-known scripture. It appears in a couple different places in the Torah. And we know an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and so forth. Does that mean that, that uh, if someone uh, uh, causes another to lose an eye or a teeth, tooth, that the righteous punishment is take that person's eye, take that person's tooth. If, if through my negligence someone is burned, then I get burned as well. And that's righteousness. That's not how Judaism understands it. And I don't believe that, that we should understand it that way. 
What we see here for an eye for an eye, it's saying of equal value. It doesn't benefit someone. If uh, I lose my tooth and now I get to knock out the tooth of someone else, what it's talking about here is a payment of value. That there should be an equal value in the judicial retribution. Very important. We're not talking about a proportionality in regard to the war when it's going. We're talking about when one from the people of God, we find that that they do something, that there should be a just retribution. That's what it's saying here. So an animal has to be restored that value. You could give another animal or you could give a payment for that animal. Look again, verse 18. One who strikes the life of an animal shall pay for it. A life for a life, a life in exchange for a life. Verse 19. A man that will will place a defect upon his, his associate his comrade it's someone that that he's linked to now the word here is moon which is a defect he causes something it could be a word such as handicap or it could be a scar or something and again the principle is going to be simple he has to make restitution for that this is someone who is found guilty hopefully acknowledges that and therefore he needs to respond so it says here just as was done thus he will be done to him meaning of the same value it is not saying that that if i through negligence cause someone to be handicapped they can't see well then my punishment is i can't see that doesn't benefit that person so there's usually a retribution a payment made to that one that is fair that is just this is what it's talking about here but it says look at verse 20 a break for a break an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth just as a moon was placed upon a man thus it will be given to him (laughs) excuse me meaning of equal value there's no benefit for the injured one if the other one who is guilty simply receives that same injury it doesn't help it doesn't provide anything for him this is how we need to understand what's being said verse 21 he reminds us of what we learn the one who strikes an animal shall pay for it and one who strikes a man but the one who strikes a man shall die so that's the death penalty he says and this has great implications now let me just pause for a moment and say that the messianic community is confused and that is there's a growing tendency among the messianic community and i consider myself part of that community and i want to be a good member of it and that means that we need to understand and interpret using the right understandings of interpretation we need to use that to get to the truth of scripture notice what it says here you see many messianic groups saying there's a law for a jewish believer and a different law for a gentile believer we don't see anything in the scripture that supports such a a false theology it says mishpat achad one judgment will be for you for the sojourner 
which would be imply a, a Gentile, as the citizen, which would be imply a Jew. It shall be, for I am the Lord, your God, and your is in the plural, meaning he's the God of both. Therefore, there's going to be a consistency and order, one law. So this idea that, well, there's a difference, expectation from God for Gentile believers, this is not at all what the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 was speaking about. This is how it's frequently interpreted, but it is very, very, very wrong. Look, if you would, to verse 23, our last verse. And Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and he brought out they that they should bring out the one who cursed outside the camp and that they shall stone him with a stone meaning each one should participate and the children of israel did so just as the lord commanded moses what do we see here we see god's order being in force let me conclude with this it is only when we are committed to god's order and administering things under the authority of scripture then will we see god's blessings and god's presence and god's provision for his people when we violate god's instructions we're going to see that instead of being filled with the abundance of god's presence provision power insight we are going to lack this 24th chapter of the book of leviticus an important chapter to teach us how we should understand the laws of god for the community of god even today well i'll close with that until next time shalom from israel well we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.